Hi everyone, I'm Young Oprah. I'm Young Whomever. And we are in the building, son. Welcome to our mixtape. <laughs> Another five. round <laughs> with Heaven and Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> no one would listen to our mixtape. <laughs> uh, I was going to say I would listen to it. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie from the pits of hell. <laughs> <laughs> what do we have on the show today, Trace? Today, we have, once again in the studio, the guy, Stacey Marie. Yo. Get a fix your lives and just upgrade your entire existence. Stacy's career corner has helped millions of people. That's a real number. So we're excited to have her back to help out more millions. Yes. Um, we're also going to debut a new segment that I'm personally very excited about. It's <laughs> called Your Cut Off. You'll, you'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also going to talk to one of our good friends and one of our favorite writers, Miss Ashley Ford. We're going to talk about writing and reading and black girl stuff and money and everything. And her obsession with Kenny Loggins. We should of start all humans. there, honestly. I don't, <laughs> I don't get it. As somebody who also has a lot of weird obsessions, though, let me not judge. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> let me not cast the first stone. Tom Hanks. That is not weird. That is a completely logical obsession. Everybody, it is time once again for our very own DJ Caribbean Vibes. Bram, 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 bram. Hey. No, also, it's Stacey Marie Ishmael to come in and change your life. She is answering your career-related questions at Stacey's Career Corner. Hello, Stacey Marie. What up, what up? Okay, so our question today deals with perceived inequality at work. <sighs> it's oh, Listen, <laughs> it's a specific question, but I think it's... I think we will all resonate with it. Oh, depressed sigh. The listener asks, I'm in a situation at work where I know that other people with the same title get paid more than me, yet seem to be held to significantly lowered standards in terms of expectations and overall responsibilities. I try really hard to focus on my own responsibilities and wonderful clients, which I do enjoy, but I am a human and at times find myself becoming bitter and resentful. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> bitter and resentful watching the way that other people coast and don't get called out oh God. the way I know I would be. I'm a 31-year-old black male in senior management position at a company with 125 employees. Traditionally, women of color have to work twice as hard to get half as far, and there are gender perceptions that could create negative consequences when women in my situation advocate for themselves or raise concerns. That's exactly how I feel because I work in an organization where our CEO and most people in leadership roles are older, white, homosexual women. I've seen people get promoted despite fucking up client relationships, and it's hard not to draw inferences as to why the behavior is tolerated, especially since I've seen the other young minority talent reprimanded or demoted altogether for similar issues why is he still working there mm. Woo. all right almost done with the question <laughs> <laughs> but i'm afraid that if i say anything people will see it as some type of angry black man stereotype and i will undo years of painstaking code switching that we're also unfortunately familiar with and ultimately i will alienate myself from the leadership somebody's gonna throw a chair <laughs> And ultimately, that I'll alienate myself from the leadership team. How do I ask for greater equity and fairness in the workplace? <sighs> okay, three things. One is, you are never judged at work on your work. You are judged on a combination of your work and how people feel about the work that you're doing and how they feel about you. Mm. And I suspect, from what he says, that he does not necessarily participate in all of the informal but so important like social niceties mm. around how this office functions because his rage is not necessarily the word but deep deep resentment mm. of the situation that he's in comes across as i would imagine that if there's a lunch you know 
the people that he works with will go sit together at a table and he will go back to his desk and isolate himself because it, it mm. would be very hard for somebody with like this many perceived and probably actual slights to fully engage and fully participate in anything beyond the work. Mm. And in the environment that he describes, it's a relatively small company with a tight-knit leadership team of which he is a part. It's difficult to kind of get over feeling that you're already being excluded and trying to reintroduce yourself into that conversation. So that is already, that's already a tough, a tough dynamic. Because it, So it sounds to me like what he's saying is, I've done so well at blending in mm. that if I were to be like, what's going on here? Suddenly they'd be like, oh, we hired a black guy. <laughs> <laughs> they ain't forget. <laughs> I did, whoa, how did that get through HR? Mm. And... So, you know, he, there's this really strong kind of underlying impression of he doesn't feel that he's allowed to be himself. He doesn't feel that he's allowed to advocate for himself. And he doesn't think that he's allowed to raise the issue that he thinks that he's being treated unfairly. Mm. And if if that email had said any one of those things, you know, you could have said, OK, you need to kind of sit down and do a little bit of self-analysis around. Is it worth you staying here? What are some of the immediate things that you can do? How can you help people feel? How can you help people understand your perspective without necessarily making it about you? Right. So if he's in leadership and he's noticing that other people in more junior positions feel excluded, then perhaps he could try actively including them and see what happens. You know, because and this is kind of like a minority burden, but so often you might not be allowed to advocate for yourself, but you might be able to advocate for people who are very similar to you, especially if you're already in a position of power. Wow. But just in general, it really sounds to me like this is a very difficult work environment for him to be in and he needs to figure out how to stop being angry with it first mm-hmm. in order to be able to like do anything towards moving forward. You're so smart. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to like bring that up. I mean, one of the things you could ask is, hey, I've noticed that I do a very similar job to so-and-so. I find that, you know, I'm getting great feedback from my clients and I'd like to discuss a little bit more about like how we can make sure that, you know, like the next round of promotion discussions or the next round of so-and-so I can move into a position that I feel is like commensurate mm. with my performance. The overwhelming temptation is to be like, but they suck. <laughs> like, like, how are they so terrible and still yeah. getting paid this? Woo. When, you know, that might be what you yell in the mirror at night. <laughs> but in, in that conversation that you're trying to have, it's more about you need to make it not about you and about the situation. And that mm. can be so hard to do when you're in the middle of it. It can be so hard because one, what he's describing is a workplace in which those people are friends and those people have like social ties and community community ties and cultural ties that go beyond just the jobs, just the titles and everything else. And you are much more willing to look past underperformance when you like someone mm. and when you feel like this person is like you and you probably walk your dog together or, mm. you know, you might run into them at your Whole Foods <laughs> rather than... <laughs> that was coded. <laughs> <laughs> rather than if you're like oh well yeah but you know like he never comes to the after work drinks with us so like whatever mm-hmm. mm. what are some other things not to do in this situation assume that they are being actively racist mm. because there are so many more layers to this it could be that you know you're in a female dominated workforce workplace which is go more power to them rare um but that that means you're definitely not participating in some of the con- the conversations that mm. you're having you know whenever you are a minority group even if it is within another minority group there are conversations that are happening that you are not aware of there's like stuff happening above your head mm. that you are not aware of and so they might be reacting to something that is not necessarily specific to you but specific to them that you you have no visibility into so just to backtrack a little bit in a situation where you feel like there is somebody who 
has your same position, who is getting paid more or is getting more whatever than you are, when you take it to your boss, should you not mention this other person at all? I think it depends on how much you trust yourself to not come across like an asshole. Mm. So, you know, if you come across like, this person, like, why? <laughs> then I'm just gonna be like, dude, <laughs> grow up. But if you say, hey, you know, Sam and I have both performed like exceptionally well, or, you know, Sam and I are both being measured on these metrics, and this is how I've done in January, mm. long silence. <laughs> <laughs> Pregnant pause. <laughs> you know, it's about, because this is, it's often a temptation to feel that in order to succeed, you have to point out the flaws of others. Mm-hmm. And that is like a very slippery slope. So at what point should you start to wonder if race is a factor? I mean, if you're brown, like, all the time. <laughs> I feel like this is something that we pretty much, you know, yeah, you're constantly white. Is right. it because I'm a woman? Is it because I'm brown? Uh-huh. Is it because my hair looks like... You don't know. Uh-huh. But so what you have to eliminate is any of the other potential factors. Mm, so don't mm. lead with that. Exactly. Got it. Got it. Stacey, you be knowing. I know. Oh, my gosh. As always, Stacey Marie, thanks for changing our lives. Good luck to that dude, man. That's I a rough know. situation. Yeah. Hold it down in the struggle, yo. We are praying. Definitely for you. polish your resume. Polish up your LinkedIn. <laughs> I don't know why I'm a Long Island woman. <laughs> your LinkedIn, you gotta do it. You gotta do it. <laughs> As always, y'all, you can find Stacey Marie on Twitter at, at S underscore M underscore I. And you can find all her work on the BuzzFeed news apps on iOS and Android. Yo. Thanks, Stacey. Bye. Thanks, Boo. Okay, so y'all know that we love to hear your voices and your stories when we ask you random questions like, what's the craziest microaggression you've ever heard? What's the wildest street harassment story you have? And now there is a super, super easy way to send them directly to us without having to like record it on your phone and then go to another like screen or app or whatever and email it to us. If you download an app called Roll Tape, then you can record your story and send us the stories in the same app you don't have to exit the app you don't have to open up your email you don't have to do any of that stuff you can be as lazy as you want to (laughs) be wait but also you can be as proactive as you want to be you can add music Mm -hmm. pictures Mm -hmm. it's a little bit honestly like a little micro podcast yeah and what's even cooler is not only can we hear it but other listeners can hear it too because we always get so many responses to the questions that we ask and unfortunately we can't play all of them because we this is a short show but this way they don't just like disappear into the cloud or wherever they go (laughs) are you 80 yes i love the idea of our get off my lawn our listeners like meeting each other or like hearing each other's stories that's dope right now we have three different questions up for you to answer um one of them is what is the dumbest conversation you've ever had while high (laughs) heaven's cackling i don't even i can't remember the conversations they were that bad Uh uh-huh but i will say there's a thing i do while i'm high you know how kendrick is like bitch don't kill my vibe Mm -hmm. that is very much how i am while high and there's a certain point where i'm like about to be high but someone's getting in the way explain this to me because i'm i'm so here's how petty i am okay (laughs) sometimes i will get so irritated while i'm in that plane of high where it's almost to the top almost to the peak but but there's a thing distracting me Uh uh-huh and if you ask me a dumb question while i'm high (laughs) i will turn the other way physically roll my eyes and then come back to the conversation (laughs) i have to get the eye roll out but like, aren't all questions dumb when you're high? I'm, no, I'm a novice here, so Are I you don't high right now. <laughs> Maybe. No, all I'm saying is I'm very petty when I'm high. 
what does it mean for somebody to kill to kill your high, kill your vibe? It's like they're talking about something like, fam, why are we concerned about that right now? <laughs> it depends on like the setting, obviously. Uh-huh. So this is, I'm imagining like a party vibe situation, chill right. social situation. And somebody's like, well, Donald Trump, what do you think yeah, about him? I'm like, bruh, <laughs> why are you doing this? So if you're ever talking to heaven and she physically turns her back to you, rolls her eyes <laughs> and then comes back. I'm a lot more stealthy with it than I think I am. <laughs> Okay, okay. I feel nervous because I feel like this is my first time coming out as somebody who occasionally dabbles. Okay. I was smoking with a friend and we were talking about, I was talking about sneezing and sneezes. <laughs> and whether or not it's uh, it's like a thing that's kind of like blinking or breathing. Like you do it and you don't realize it. You don't mark it. You don't remember it. Mm-hmm. Like, have you sneezed today? Mm-mm. How do you know? Mm, I'd be sneezing. <laughs> I feel like it's notable the days I don't. Did you sneeze yesterday? No. When's the last time you sneezed? I don't know. Mm. It's been a minute. Mm-hmm. I remember being very fascinated by whether or not I could remember when I sneezed. And so the next day I would sneeze and be like, oh shit, I sneezed. I, <laughs> I need to remember this. Mark this moment I in I gotta history. remember it. <laughs> um, so if you have stories like that, I'm sure you do. Please send them our way. We'll also be like listening to the stories. We're going to listen to everyone and we might air your story in a future episode. Whoa, whoa. Oh, my God. oh my God. But this is important. If you want your story aired in a future episode, Keep it's it short, gotta be, yeah, like 30 seconds to a minute. Tops. Keep it short. Keep it short. Right. For more information, go to rolltape.fm. We can't wait to hear from you. So we would like to introduce a new segment that we have called Your Cutoff. <laughs> this is like when somebody's like being drunk and belligerent and annoying at a bar and the mm-hmm. bartender's like, all right, you're done here. You're cut off. Yeah. Um, we just want to rant about some stuff. I believe my name is uh, Heaven Rants for a reason. Mm. Heaven, who or what is cut off today? Um, white people who think they invented everything. Oh my god! You're cut off. <laughs> <laughs> white people have appro- appropriated so many things that mm. they think they invented them. Yeah. Have you ever heard a white girl talk about yoga as yes. if she was the center of yoga, mm-hmm. and not brown ass fucking people? Absolutely. Oh my god, it drives me crazy. You're cut off. You're cut off. <laughs> Just why do you have to center yourself in everything? Yeah, it's like you can enjoy it and it not be about you. I really think that white folks just don't know that. Uh, it's crazy. But it's not even, it's like we buy their logic. So now like lacrosse is considered a white sport. It is a Native American sport. Mm. You know what I'm saying? You know, I didn't even know that. Exactly. Wow. I they thought it was like right the, in history. the preppiest like spoiled little rich white kid sport ever. Well, it is now. Uh, cut off white people. Cut off. You didn't invent everything. <laughs> Get out of here. All right, my glass is a little too light for my liking, so we're going to take a break. I'm going to pay some bills, and we will be back to talk with Ashley Ford. We have a super special treat for everybody. We have a good friend of ours, former co-worker, freelance writer, and editor. She's also a teacher at the New School and a thing called Catapult. Maybe she'll tell us more about what that is. She is working on an anthology with Roxanne Gay. You may have heard about her. Maybe. Um, she's from Indiana, but that's okay. <laughs> Please <laughs> wow. welcome to the show, Agra Friend 
<laughs> Sorry. I'm so southern. Ashley Ford. Yay. Ashley. Hi, guys. Hi. I'm so happy to have you. Welcome. I'm so happy to be here. I miss you both so much all the time, and I love you. Aww. We love you, too. Kenny Loggins. <laughs> Tell us about your relationship with Kenny Loggins. Oh, my God. Okay. To be honest, I, I still don't even really know who this dude is. <laughs> I only know it because Ashley be tweeting about him. I lo- okay. <laughs> who is man? I love Kenny Loggins. Okay. okay, who is Kenny Loggins? Kenny Loggins is a yacht rock god. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> he is a what? A yacht rock god. What is yacht rock? Oh my gosh, and where what? to even begin? Kenny Loggins so is like amazing. Arena rock, yacht rock. <laughs> yacht rock's amazing. Listen, okay. Do you know the song Footloose? Footloose, yeah. Kenny Loggins. What? Do you know the song Danger Zone? Welcome to the Danger Zone. Oh my God. Yeah. Kenny oh, Loggins. I don't know those songs. Yes. What? Kenny Loggins. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Caddyshack. There's yes. a song called I'm All Right. Kenny Loggins. I did not know I knew so many Kenny Loggins. Songs. Kenny, <laughs> listen, he's everything. He's amazing. He, like, my, okay. A teacher introduced me to him because I was also a student that used to like stay after school all the time and sort of like roam the halls illegally because I just didn't want to go home. Um, And also because I love school a lot. And a teacher used to be like, don't just roam the halls. You can come to my room and like write something. And Mm. he would have me write. Um, And so I would just sit at the computer in the room and write down like about my day or I would like write a story or I would write a poem and he would always be playing Kenny Loggins (laughs) in the background. (laughs) And eventually I was just like, who is this? And he was like, you can borrow the CD. And he let me borrow the CD. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God, I can't give him back the CD. But I finally did. And then um, I was having trouble in his class. Like I was falling asleep a lot. And he gave me a tape of lullabies that had belonged to his daughter that mm. helped her go to sleep. And the lullabies were sang by Kenny Loggins. Wow. And the album was called Return to Pooh Corner. <gasps> and I used to listen to it every night and it would help me sleep. Aww. So, yeah, I just loved it. And I love him. And he like he became this weird father figure to me in my mind to the point where like now I when people are like, oh, do you want to meet Kenny Loggins? You know, or should we set something up where you meet Kenny Loggins? I'm like, absolutely not. Like, I need him to remain the same in my head, which is infallible. Help me if you can. I've got to get back to the house. Yacht Rock. <laughs> okay, Yacht Rock. That's not Footloose. That's not what I imagined. Yeah, no. Actually, I have no idea. Footloose, footloose, yes, I don't think. footloose is like you not exactly mean... Yacht Rock, but he does a lot of Yacht Rock. Well, he did you a lot of Yacht Rock yacht when rock. he was. No, what is it? I, okay, anything. I don't. Okay, <laughs> so like, describe the genre. <laughs> yacht Rock is like. Do you guys know like? It's like soft rock, but it is specifically called Yacht Rock, I believe. Because it's supposed to be like the soft rock that's so soft. 
<laughs> that like white people feel like they're really jamming when they're like listening to it and like on a yacht like on a yacht like oh I my god <laughs> what this is the whitest thing i've ever it's heard it's super I'm white this. like it's so white I don't know. Michael <laughs> McDonald was technically part of it. What? No. I love Michael McDonald. I love some Michael McDonald. But when Michael is But when he was with rock. the doobies, no. when he was with the doobies and he was like, you know, taking her to the street. <laughs> like that was him. And that was That is a great Michael McDonald. I actually do here's the secret to the Michael McDonald impression. Okay. You sing and yawn at the same time. <laughs> that is the secret to the Michael McDonald impression. Oh my God, you're right. You know? I can see it. So it's like, you know the song, um, uh, I Keep Forgetting? Okay, like, okay. Not in love oh my gosh. I keep forgetting things will never be the same again. <laughs> yeah, like it's just, oh my it's God. yawning and singing at that the same incredible. time. That was incredible. Okay, so what was Baby Ashley like? Oh my gosh. I was a very strange kid who, when I was in a room or when I decided to be in the room, you could not get to stop talking. Mm. But I often decided not to be in the room and be somewhere else by myself reading Mm. or watching a show I liked or generally just coming up with stories in my head that I didn't have to explain to anybody else. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. What was that like? Oh, my God. Tracy. Tracy, Why do you have such strong feelings about Indiana? Because it's a terrible place. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, I don't agree. But I can tell you that places that are not that great in Indiana, (laughs) we just add Tucky to the end (laughs) to describe them. Places like Muntucky. Places like Evan Tucky. (laughs) Y'all petty. Y'all petty. (laughs) You're wrong. You're wrong for that. Describe it. Describe it to someone who's never been there. Well, I guess it would depend on what part of Indiana you're in. Southern Indiana is actually quite Southern. Mm-hmm. Like it, people, wow. Um, I just, I'm just agreeing. <laughs> yeah. It is. No, okay. There's a little, well, there's a little tone in that agreeing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being Southern. I'm just saying. No, nothing wrong with being Southern, Tracy. Um <laughs> So yeah, it's really, really great down there, I guess. I don't know. I don't go often. It's really interesting because Fort Wayne is oddly diverse <laughs> for where it is. Um, what like, does that mean? Like I didn't grow up in really necessarily like black neighborhoods versus white neighborhoods. Like you definitely like did see some separation, but it wouldn't have been strange for anybody of any race to live in one neighborhood versus another. Mm-hmm. So what like, were like the demographics just, in your school? Well, my school was 96% African-American. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, my school system was very black. And mm. part of that was because technically we were a county school. Um, and we were very, very low in numbers. I graduated with a class of 87 people. Oh, wow. The neighborhoods that kids came from in that area were generally had like black young people and then white older people. So it wasn't that we didn't have white people in our neighborhoods. It's just that a lot of the white people in our neighborhoods either didn't have kids or had grown kids mm. who were already gone. So it was really interesting. My high school experience was great. I loved high school. Like I know some people look back at high school and they're like, "Oh, Man. I made it. Man. I made it out." And Never I don't, I don't have that experience. Made it. <laughs> Anyways, um, <no. laughs> 
<laughs> but I don't have that experience um, mm-hmm. from high school. High school was a lot of fun for me. I made a lot of friends. I did a lot of fun things. I was, you know, such an asshole um, to <laughs> teachers. To oh, teachers? to teachers? Oh, absolutely. Oh <laughs> I was such an asshole to teachers. I But for justice, you know, not just to yeah. be petty. No, I wasn't petty. <laughs> for good. <laughs> I wasn't petty. I just... I have always had issues with authority, to be perfectly honest. Mm. I I don't like adults trying to tell me what to do just because they're adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was still very true <laughs> when I was a young person. I didn't like I didn't like being talked to like I was stupid. Mm. So anytime so somebody talked doing. to me but like I was stupid, I, they were put on a list. Here, <laughs> I'm writing this down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I had that realization that adults are just like they're just kids that grew up. Yeah, <laughs> meaning like Which they're is just, technically true. Yeah, <laughs> they are. Meaning is. like I had if I read as much as they read or like get all the information mm. they get, I could also yeah yeah like there's no real <laughs> special thing about adults. Yeah, no. And I had that realization very young, so I just did mm-hmm. not. I don't. I did not see it for adults. I was like, Similar. "What do you bring to the table?" <laughs> I. I also. Just I know had, more than you. I had really strong sense of right and wrong. So when I was being told something I did or said was wrong, I needed evidence mm. that it was wrong. Like it wasn't good enough that like this is wrong because it's against the rules. It's like, why is that a rule? Word. And why are you telling me to do that? Mm-hmm. And why do you think you get to tell me to do that? And if that's the rule and I don't like the rule, then how do we change the rule? So you've been talking back for a while. Basically. I have. I have been talking back for a really <laughs> long time. Yeah. So did you live in Indiana until the moment you moved to New York? I did. I lived in Indiana for 27 years. I yeah. miss grass. I loved grass. I mean. <laughs> R.I.P. I did. R.I.P. grass. <laughs> when I lived in Indiana, Indianapolis, I had a favorite tree. In my mm. neighborhood that I used to visit all the time and I would go sit under this tree and it was like 400 years old and I mm-hmm. used to write under it and I used to like just go there and like almost oddly talk to myself and a couple of kids in the neighborhood thought I was a witch. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But yeah. No, it was I'm actually. No, it was actually really great. Like, because I would be, they would be like, oh, she's coming. Like, <laughs> like I was the neighborhood witch and I was like, I'm cool with that. Oh my that God, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me a little bit about your stand-up career in indiana like who what (laughs) what that's the question (laughs) oh god okay so when i was in college there was a local bar that did a stand-up situation and the guys who ran the stand-up situation um one of them was trying really hard to get with my roommate And he came over one day to our house and we were all just like sitting around talking and I was just talking about things and my life and they were in stitches like they were just laughing and they could not stop letting me like these deep belly laughs and they were like why are you not on our show you need to come be on our show and I was like no that's cool you know like I'm all right you know because I mean part of it was that first of all these were white dudes and black people's standards for funny (laughs) is so much higher (laughs) in my experience our standards for what makes something funny is Mm -hmm. typically so much higher than what white people and also this was this was my um 
third year of college. So at this point, I was used to being, because I went to a college that was full of white people. Like, it was the exact opposite of my high school experience. So by this point, I was understanding some things about white people. Like, I was really funny there, but I didn't think because I was really funny. I thought, like, because y'all just not used to it. What what led you to that conclusion? Like, what were the jokes you were making? What were the jokes they were making? You know, like... To them, every fart is funny. <laughs> like every fart Why is a funny dudes fart. Love. I don't know. Joke. I don't know. But every fart was funny. Like things that were just like just offensive mm-hmm. were funny to them. Mm. And I was like, <laughs> it's not funny because you said it and it's offensive. Uh-huh. Like that does not a joke make. <laughs> you know. Like, so I just I, I didn't really believe them. Um, but I finally was convinced to go up and do it. And I was like, fine, I'm gonna go up there. I'm gonna tell some of these, you know, like funny to me ass stories, you know. And then I'm just gonna leave. And it Did you went start your really set well. With- what had happened was <laughs> I did not start with what had happened was I think like I started with I don't even want to fucking be here like I think that's like <laughs> what I said to start nice. my first set and then I just went into just telling some stories about um my family and about you know situations from my own life or whatever and I still to this day to be perfectly honest even though I had a great track record like I went up there every week. I started doing comedy more and more, sometimes multiple times a week. And I never had a show where I bombed. Mm. Like, But you need that as a comedian. Like, You need to have the bomb because once you have the bomb, you go, oh, that doesn't hurt. You know, like it definitely doesn't kill me. Mm. So now every time I go up, I have a different confidence because it's not just like I'm going to do well. It's like even if I do bad, I'm, it's, it's not going to kill me. Uh, but I didn't bomb. And I kept... Like, sometimes I felt like a set wasn't even that good, but it was just, like, the people who were in the crowd Mm -hmm. were very white. So Mm. they felt like I was really funny. And then I was like, (laughs) this just isn't... And then it just got to a point where it just wasn't worth my time. Like, Mm. I was... My heart wasn't really in it. Every time I went to do it, it made my stomach hurt. Mm. And I was like, never mind. Would you do it again? (laughs) I've thought about it. But since living here and, like, having friends who are comedians and stuff, I definitely, this is not a situation where I look at them and go, I could do that. Like, Mm, they're all mm -hmm. way funnier than me. But I think I could do okay. Mm. So I think about it sometimes. I think you would slay. You're fucking funny. You should do it. I'll come and and heckle you just so you can, like, get that bomb and experience. Oh, my God. (laughs) No, I'm doing this for you. Why do you always do this? You know (laughs) what? You know what? You're right. You you deserve better from me. I do. (laughs) <laughs> so you write a lot of honest personal essays which I really really admire mm-hmm. why do you do it I do it mostly um, for a lot of the same reasons that um, I talked about writing I talk about writing in any given moment is because I, I write to connect I'm not one of those people who could write in a room and just keep it for myself You know, like I'm not the kind of person who writes for the pleasure of the action. I write and I tell stories because I'm trying to connect with people and I'm trying in a lot of ways to be seen. And for a very long time, I felt like, you know, the things I was reading and even the things I loved, 
I didn't felt seen. I mm. still didn't feel like there was, you know, something about this book or this story that really resonated with me as I am. And I wanted to be able to create things that would resonate with people as they are. Mm. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So in addition to writing yourself, you are a writing teacher. Yes. We get a lot, a lot of questions from listeners asking for writing advice. Mm-hmm. And I never know what to say, mostly because I feel like a hack of a writer at this point in my life. <laughs> like you're I don't not. write regularly. Thank you. Yeah, but you. you're still a wonderful writer. I don't, that's, yeah. You don't, uh-huh. don't ever think you have to write all the day, every day or all the time in order to be a writer. Mm-hmm. You just have to write right. at some point. Like that's it. I feel really disconnected from the process though, even because it's something that like has become a really big source of anxiety for me. Like once mm-hmm. I started to do it, um, professionally when I was living as a freelancer yeah it just got so hard because I was like okay if I can't write xyz thing I don't eat I don't pay my rent you know and so I would sit down and nothing would happen and I would get upset and frustrated and I'll put too much pressure on myself yeah so it's really easy to do yeah so I found every excuse in the world not to like write Mm -hmm. so I feel really disconnected from the process so I'd never know what to tell people I'm like I don't know Right. <laughs> also, you slay the freelance hustle, and that shit is hard. It is yeah. not easy. I'm lucky. Um, I'm lucky that I have, at this point, a little bit of name recognition. So editors often come to me, mm. and I am dealing with something that no one ever prepares you to deal with, I think, professionally, which is saying no to things you want to do mm, and prioritizing. More. Well... I feel like so much information out there about freelancing is about getting into it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is about, you know, this is how you want to act with an editor. This is, you know, how you want to promote your work. These are, this is how you want to build a revenue stream, like things like that. But no one really talks about the fact that you can get to a point. And I've seen this happen with lots of, like, this is not, special to me but with lots of writers that you can get to a point where people are offering you things that you want to do but you don't actually have time to do Mm. or you don't have the emotional wherewithal to do Mm. or you're not thinking about the fact that at some point you're going to want to go on vacation or take a break Mm. you know so I think you don't really get prepared for that as a working person and I also think that Our generation in particular, so many people haven't graduated or been in college as the recession hit or right at the end of the recession. So many of us are just not used to the idea that we will get to say no to something that we want to do and still be okay, Mm. especially financially. And you just have to be figuring those things out. And it's it's tricky ground. It's very, Let's very tricky. Let's talk about money. Terrifying. Yeah. No, Every about freelancer money. that I know is always like four or five different publications still owe me money from oh, yeah. an article that I wrote for them like a year ago. Yeah. How, what do, how do you survive through that part? I mean, fuck if I know. It's <laughs> to be, I mean, really, like it's, I don't know how. Sometimes I've gotten over. It's mm. one of the, it's, it, it, in my opinion, it's the worst thing about being a freelancer is that companies really will just hold, like 
you'll email and call and everything and you'll get the shittiest responses. Oh, we didn't, your your form wasn't attached right the last time. Mm. And it's like, oh, well, I sent that three weeks ago. It would have been nice if you emailed me and told me that my form wasn't attached right. Oh, and then you man. attach it again and it's like, oh, well, actually it wasn't a problem with the form. Our systems are down. And you know, and you and and you this would is think stressful just listening to him. It's terrible. And you would think that like this would be a problem you had with maybe just like smaller places or something like that, or places that are no, not like super established. Yeah. No, it's your face. <laughs> it's it's your face. Ones. The places that you are going to all the time, the places that are sort of like now getting shamed into, you know, being more transparent about what they're paying their workers and, you know, all those things. The problem is, is that these places really have you over a barrel because they've already taken your work. Right. They've already Ugh. published your work. And at this point, it's like they they will maybe eventually send you your money, but they're in no hurry. Why mm. should they have to be? Right? right. So it's really disrespectful and it's really not fun. And <laughs> I hate it when it happens to me. Mm-hmm. Gosh. But I... I'm also relentless. Like I will, I have it on my schedule. Like I set myself a reminder, remember to email them again today Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. ask where your money is. And they eventually get tired of me and they start sending (laughs) me my money on time. So what advice would you give somebody who's looking to get into the world of freelance writing? I would, first of all, just really ask them to think about what their expectations are for a life of freelancing. I would say... A lot of the reasons that people go into freelancing, which are being in control of your own schedule and, you know, sort of cutting out the middleman and making more money. It's like you are cutting out some middlemen, but that also means you're doing the middleman's work, Mm -hmm. which means, you know, uh, my boyfriend had to basically create an entire like system of spreadsheets and online things just for me to keep track of assignments and due dates and when I've sent an invoice and the number of the invoice and how much this place owes me and whether or not they sent it to me and when I contacted them when it was past due and how many times I've contacted them since then. Yeah, Mm. you know, and I'm lucky to have like a person in my life who was able to say this system that you have right now of writing things down on scraps of paper and just keeping all those scraps of paper on your desk, uh, that's a bullshit system and you can't live (laughs) like that, so Mm. let me help you out. Mm. Um, It's really, really hard to do all on your own. Like, my boyfriend is a bookseller, you know, and booksellers don't make, you know, much money at all, but there are plenty of times when the fact that he was getting paid regularly saved our asses Mm. even though i make more money than him i make a lot more money than him but just the fact that his money was consistent made a big difference Mm -hmm. in what we were able to do and how we were able to survive over the past year Mm. i'm still stressed out just thinking about the process of people just like not giving you your money it's very stressful to know you have money out there just floating in the ether Um, it's stressful to know rent's coming and you should have had $5,000 in checks two weeks ago that haven't shown up. Mm -mm. Like, it's very stressful. And, you know, one of the ways to prevent that stress, you know, I mean, it's always going to be stressful, but one of the ways that really helps is if you have 
quite a bit of savings saved up before you go full-time freelance. I had a little bit of savings saved up, not enough. Mm -hmm. Like I thought I had enough, I did not have enough. Um, And so we had a lot of tense moments uh, financially because of that. Me and my partner, Mm -hmm. my boyfriend. What kind of moments? Well, I would say probably it got really bad last July when I literally had $5,000 in checks out there in the world somewhere, um, but not with me. And my rent was coming up and it was going to be due. And my boyfriend at that point was also between jobs. He had been temping and his temp job was over and he was about to start a new job. But we were not, you know, for that period, getting money from his side either. Um, And we thought we would be fine because I was getting you know, all these assignments and all this money was going to come in. And when it didn't come in, you know, I had to reach out to family and basically ask them, can I borrow money, you know, until this time? And this is the first time in my life that I've had, first of all, that I've had family (laughs) I could reach out to because it's not biological family, but like other kind of family. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the first time in my life I've had family that I could reach out to and ask. Mm. And just the fact that I had to ask was terrible because you go through so much in your head. It's it's like, you know, I moved out here and Mm -hmm. I made these decisions Mm. and I decided to become a freelancer. I made all these decisions that led to this moment. And now I have to ask somebody else to bail me out. Mm. And... Lots of people don't have somebody to bail them out. Right. So I don't know what happens then. Was the fact that you make more than your partner ever a source of tension? No, but I think that's mostly because Kelly has grown up surrounded by women who out-earned all the men Mm. in his life. His mother out-earns his father, his aunt out earns everybody you know like (laughs) she I mean she does she used to be the president of um LACMA the Los Angeles County Museum of Art and now she does um consulting and teaches and you know she's this amazing amazing woman and he has always grown up around really strong ambitious women and he is also ambitious in a different way but he's never like for him masculinity is not really tied up in the like I also have to be the breadwinner mm-hmm. or and I have to be like providing you know whatever like he definitely grew up with the idea that no like when you're a team everybody just contributes mm-hmm. oh shout out to feminist boyfriends yes yeah. feminist yeah. boyfriends <laughs> one of the things we talk a lot about on the show and that you write and tweet about is anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. We're big fans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what have you What have you learned about yourself through therapy? Oh my goodness, everything. <laughs> That's true. I feel <laughs> like my my mother was very very anti any mental health things. Like you know, it, she, I grew up in a house that was definitely if you have a problem, you could take it to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like that I felt like I needed a little more than that so for sometimes you do (laughs) so for my 18th birthday um I made myself an appointment Mm. (laughs) for a therapist on my own 
and kind of did it behind my mom's back and went to go see, I started seeing a therapist and the first session I mostly sat there and cried and couldn't talk. Mm. Um, but then I started talking. And one of the things that I found out about myself through therapy is that um, I'm a perfectionist, just not the way I thought perfectionists were. Tell me more. I always had the idea that a perfectionist is someone who's like a straight A student, also on varsity athletic teams. Mm-hmm. You know, everything has to be right. Their all the sticky notes. All, yeah, the sticky <laughs> notes, the binders. Yeah, yeah. You know, everything Same. in their room is organized. Like, I thought that's what a perfectionist was. And it was explained to me by um, a couple therapists that perfectionism is does not always translate into those kinds of things. Like perfectionism can also translate in a sort of like paralysis, Ooh. which is when you want to do something, but you have such high standards for yourself that you almost can't even get started. Oh my God, I have that. I have that. I have that. <laughs> oh my God, oh my God. That's why I hate writing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that's, I mean, that's part of it. You know, like um, a lot of, the worst things that have like uh, decisions, I guess, any regrets that I have are all related to not doing, mm-hmm. not something I've done. Mm. It's not doing. And th- it's something that like I battle with all the time. And it is like a kind of anxiety and it is a source of anxiety. Mm. And I don't like it about mm-hmm. myself, but I know that it's true and it's better to know than to um, sort of be sitting around thinking that I'm just lazy or something's Mm. like just wrong with me that is, you know, irreparable. Word. One thing that I say to myself all the time now is every step I take is a first step. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it might be on a path, but I don't have to stay on that path forever. And I, it's really easy for me to forget that sometimes. And I'll start to think every step I take is sort of like, oh, that's the direction I'm going in for the rest of my life now. Yeah. yeah. And it just doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. And it took me a really long time to understand <laughs> that it didn't have to be that way and that every step I take is just a step. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really an opportunity to find out what I like or more importantly, find out what I don't like. Word. Another thing that really helped me was the simple quote, uh, all a first draft has to do is exist. Yep. Mm. I was like, shit. Yeah. yeah. You're right. A quote that really helped me a lot, well, it helps me when I remember to remember it, is uh, <laughs> <laughs> a writer. I can't remember exactly how it goes. It's by Thomas Mann. A writer is someone for whom the act of writing is harder than it is for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dope. I have so many more questions, um, but we should move into pew, 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 pew. Let's do pew, it. Pew, pew, pew. If you could have a lifetime supply of anything, what would it be? Mm, lotion. Mm. Interesting. I feel like the hardest thing in my life sometimes is just knocking the rust off my ankles. Like just <laughs> getting all... Sorry, what? <laughs> That's what my... I guess that's what maybe how my grandma used to describe it is, is knocking the rest off when you ashy. And she'd be like, if you don't go knock the rest off the oh elbows. Oh, my God. You know, and stuff like rust. that. I feel like I'm just like preternaturally ashy. Like there's mm. just something. Like I got advanced, evolved ash, and I'm constantly trying oh my to like God. just get it off. 
Oh my so god, I need it sounds a lot like of the lotion. worst Pokemon. <laughs> 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 Gotta get it off. Gotta get it off. Did you really give up pettiness for Lent? I tried. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. Uh, you know, a lot of shit just happened over Lent that begged for me to be petty. I feel like, like I felt real tested. Like I was. I felt like the job of pettiness. Like I definitely, <laughs> I felt like as soon as I was like, this is what I'm gonna do. The Lord was just like, nah, but what if, what about this? <laughs> I know you got some feelings about this. And I'm always trying to be more positive. I think in general, people think of me as a positive person and mm-hmm. not necessarily a messy or a petty person, mm-hmm. but I know my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> you and know your heart. I know my own heart. <laughs> and I do have like those moments of, you know, just being mean just to be mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, or not even like mean, just like, you know, somebody says something and I know something and I'm not going to say it, but hmm, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I definitely have those and I thought what if I just tried not to like what if I tried to redirect Mm. and not you know react that way to things and just be you know like genuinely on some like you know to each their own type shit Uh and it just didn't work out like it just (laughs) didn't I you can't escape the petty yeah you really can't we should all collectively embrace our pettiness I agree I think it's human after trying to go without it I have to tell you that I think you're right. And I think it's, here's why I think it's important. I think it's important because part of the reason why pettiness is petty is because in general, it doesn't lead into some bigger thing about a small issue. Mm. You know, like that's why it's petty. It's because it's kind of small. Right. Like you didn't even have to go there. And it's like, <laughs> you didn't have to do this. You, you didn't even have to energy. do this. And you're like, you're right. I didn't. But it's important <laughs> that I did so yes. that I didn't like add it to some mountain of pettiness, which Listen. eventually becomes resentment. Mm. And resentment is you're different right. from pettiness. They're, I'm Preach. a fan of petty. Let it out. Just let it out. We're planning a Pro petty, petty party petty somehow. Party. Yeah, with like maybe pedicures and, uh-huh. and be petty together. No, not pedicures. We'll, we'll send you an invite. <laughs> um, so this is becoming one of my favorite uncomfortable questions to ask people, and I feel like this is asking you this question just feels right. This feels good to me. Would you rather? <laughs> would you rather watch a tape of your parents having sex, or have all of your colleagues watch? A sex tape that you and your partner made. Hmm. <laughs> this is tricky. Mm-hmm. This is very, very tricky. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I suppose. I suppose I'd probably be cool with everybody watching a sex tape of me and Bay, <laughs> uh, if for no other reason than the fact that, like, I don't do anything I'm ashamed of. I don't know what the hell my parents did. And I might be ashamed of it. <laughs> I might not be okay with it. Um, yeah. Nah. I don't want to see it. And it's not even like I don't want to see it. It's more so like, I don't know. First of all, you have... <laughs> yeah, let's just leave it at that. It, I would rather like my peers see me boning. I okay. also don't have... 
I might have weirdness sometimes about like my weight and about like the shape of my body and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I, for some reason, have no weirdness about nudity. I just don't really don't care. I've I've always felt like if somebody got a sneak peek of something, they should just go ahead and feel blessed <laughs> and keep it moving. <laughs> On that note, this has been wonderful. Thank you for coming back. Thanks for having me. Of course. Where can people find you in your work? Uh, people can find me on Twitter at iSmashFizzle. They can find me on Tumblr and Instagram at SmashFizzle. And you can see any of my work on my website at AshleyC4.com. Amen. Everybody follow her. It's worth it. I love you guys. <laughs> Thanks we for love having you too. me. too. Please come back again. Maybe someday. All right, maybe. Hey, guess what time it is? What time is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's time to buy rounds, Tracy. Yay! Who's yours for? I would like to buy a round for the ends of sliced bread. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know why y'all out here wilding these streets acting like it's not bread. Acting like you can just throw away food. No, it's bread. It's just not. It's just the worst part of a loaf of bread. Okay, it's not your favorite part, but it's a solid piece of bread. It's wild to me that people actually throw them out. You can make a solid sandwich with that bread. Nobody enjoys. Oh my made god, the booty ends. Okay, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all didn't call them the booty ends, the butt ends, the booty butt ends, the booty ends <laughs> of the bread. Yeah. So you're like, hey mom, can you pass me the booty ends? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or like you go to make a sandwich and there's only those last two pieces left. You're like, oh, these the booty ends. I don't want them. Okay, two parts of that is wild. <laughs> One, you're throwing away bread. You're right. I am a wasteful human. I just don't know how we culturally got to a point where we thought that was acceptable. It's not good. Res put some respect on bread, okay? <laughs> put some respect on it. Uh, that's all I have to say. I probably will never eat the booty inside of Really? Probably not. I mean, I have before. <laughs> so there's this thing that I do where, like, I do feel bad about throwing out the ends of the bread. So I'll just keep them in the refrigerator. And then, like, in a month's time, I just have, like, six booty ends in the refrigerator. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm not going to eat these. I need to throw them away. You got to get the booty ends out of my fridge. <laughs> <laughs> Sound like a sociopath. <laughs> I also would like to throw in, you can toast them and mm -hmm. and tear off some pieces and make like your own little pita chip situation. Dip it in some hummus. I know how you feel about hummus, but everybody like hummus. else rocks with it just, just as, right. as an aside. I'm happy to send you all of the booty ends of my bread. Oh my God. Free bread? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yes, I'm in. <laughs> Who are you buying around for, Trace? I am also buying around for a food product. Ooh. Um, I'm buying around for quiche. Oh, quiche. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can. <re> <laughs> I know you me. like it, and it's so weird to me. I love it. I just it's think it's the perfect texture. breakfast food. I don't think I've had a good quiche. Oh man, what I've is it about quiche, quiche that you like? You've never had bad I've quiche. Never had bad quiche. I feel like that's a dish that can easily be bad. I've never had bad quiche. Listen, you got a nice flaky buttery crust. Uh huh. I'm in. I'm in. Right? Yes. You have lots of cheese. Okay. I'm in. And then you have other delicious things you like. Maybe some spinach. Maybe some tomatoes. If you get down with tomatoes like that. You know? <laughs> and it's just a delicious, like, little breakfast pie. And I love it so much. Breakfast pie. It's Whoa. a breakfast pie. I get so excited to see that there's quiche on the menu. <laughs> you so do. Excited. I've seen it. Right. I've seen it. When we it. were in Michigan, they had two different kinds of quiche. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. 
And one of them had, it was like a sweet quiche, which I've never had before. What do you mean by sweet? It had like cranberries and stuff in it. It was like sweet and savory, but like just. So it was straight up a pie. No, it was still, <laughs> it was still quiche. It was still like a breakfast pie because it also had like cheese and shit. Breakfast pie. That's not a thing. <laughs> it is a thing and it's called quiche. <laughs> um, I love it. I love quiche. I love quiche. <laughs> quiche, quiche, quiche. Stop. <laughs> oh, shout out to quiche, I guess. Shout out to quiche, definitely. Okay. We did it. We made it. This was a great episode. Oh, my God. I had so much fun. Shout out to Stacey Marie. Uh, eternal Always. shout out to Always. Stacey Marie. And shout out to um, Ashley Ford, who is my favorite Indianian. <laughs> the only one. The only one. <laughs> favorite hoosier i hate that phrase but shout out to hoosiers <laughs> um shout out to the pod squad pod squad bah, bah, bah. yes strong yes, strong I'm air horn i can chest, retire from the air horn <laughs> <laughs> this episode was produced by eleanor kagan and antonia sarahito with production help from julia ferlin and meg kramer Thank you to Paul Ruest at Argo Studios, who makes the best tea in the business. Facts. Thank you to our super talented musician friends for blessing us with music for the podcast. You can follow them both. Follow Jean Gray on Twitter at Jean Greasy and follow Don Will of the rap group Tanya Morgan at D-O-N-W-I-L-L. Thank you to Optimus Prime. Aw. Shout out to Tracy Curls Pop and Clay. Oh. I see you. Yes. I see you. I'm changing all of my resumes to say <laughs> Tracy Curls Pop and Clayton. Yes, uh, uh, follow Tracy at Brokey McPoverty. Find out about her moisturizing routine. <laughs> and follow Heaven on Twitter at Heaven Rants. Where I be ranting. Per huge. Um, sign up for the freaking newsletter, y'all. It is so good. I can't. We're just trying to upgrade your life. Let me upgrade up. you. Yes. As yes. the prophet Beyonce said. Mm. Go to BuzzFeed.com slash another round slash newsletter to sign up. Yep, and get goodness in your inbox once a week. Um, let love in, is what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Check out our other BuzzFeed podcasts like Internet Explorer, The Tell Show, and our newest politics show, No One Knows Anything. No One Knows Anything. They should totally have the <laughs> game show music. They should. <laughs> Welcome to. <laughs> and hit us on the buzz. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We had another round. Another um, round on all the things. All the things. Email us, another round at BuzzFeed.com. Rate us on iTunes. There's still time for you to nominate us for Nobel Peace Prize. Yes. Please uh, do that multiple just, times. Just think about the peace we brought to the world. Yeah. Drink some water, take your meds, call your person. Call your person. Um, ooh, if you can, go snuggle a dog. It'll probably make you feel so Or a baby. Better. Also a baby. You can you can snuggle a baby. Shout out to babies. I'm going to snuggle a baby soon, my nephew. Oh. He's crawling now. I can't oh. do. That's so cute. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. <laughs>